good God, Lord. You are great and you love us so much. And Lord Jesus, thank you for redeeming me. Thank you for redeeming us by your blood, Lord. And we're so humbled by that. God, I pray, Lord, as we come into your word, that we would continue to worship you as we give attention to you, Lord. As you have given us grace today to come here, Lord. And your grace means compassion to the unworthy. And so we are, Lord, receiving from you the bread you're giving us. So bless this time, anoint it with your spirit, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Aloha, everyone. Good morning. Welcome, everyone, on our live stream also. Uh, I'm excited. It's a beautiful morning today, and it's our communion Sunday. So hopefully you got your little communion kits uh, here. If you're at home, prepare them now. But if you can turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now we continue our verse-by-verse study here through the book of Thessalonians, and we're entering into this last section of Thessalonians, and we're going to be breaking this apart, but Paul had just been talking about the rapture of the church and the day of the Lord, the tribulation, the coming wrath. Well, after talking about that, Paul goes on to some practical things. You can say Paul goes from the future to the present. He goes on in how we are to apply ourselves as we ready ourselves for the coming of the Lord. And first we're going to see this morning is Paul encourages us in about fellowship. Fellowship in the church. And, and as we know, sometimes relationships in the church are very challenging. Uh, someone wrote this and then began this by asking a question. How many members of the Tate family belong to your church? There's old man Dick Tate, who wants to run everything while Uncle Rotate tries to change everything. Their sister Agitate stirs up plenty of trouble with the help of her husband, Irritate. And no one likes Uncle Potentate, always making himself to be that high makamaka. Then there's always the critical complaining Mr. Devastate, the constant voice of doom. And then there's that black sheep in the family, Apostate, who has formed his own following. And finally, there is this last person in the Tate family, Amputate, who has cut himself off from the church and fellowship. So I think that's a creative way of talking about how it's challenging sometimes in our fellowship in the church. But God calls on all believers to do all they can in keeping the harmony. And that's the title of our message this morning, Keeping the Harmony. We're going to be studying 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 from verse 12 through 15 this morning. 12 through 15. And we're going to see three things that Paul talks about. Number one, and this is our outline, honor your leaders. Number two, help one another. And number three, hold to doing good. So let's begin here with number one in our outline, honor your leaders. Honor your leaders. Now, we're going to be looking at verse 12 and 13 here in this section. So let's see what Paul has written here. It begins in verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. 
and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we'll stop there. Paul begins with this saying, he's writing, we ask you brothers. So he's asking, when he says brothers, or you read this in the New Testament, you know, he's really talking about all the believers in the church, the brothers and sisters in the church. So he's asking all the believers here that they would respect those who labor among you. Respect, we're talking about honor. We know what that means, right? Respecting and honor who, well, the guys who are laboring among you. Labor here talks about uh, working hard, basically. And among you, he's really speaking about the church. So he's talking to the Thessalonian believers about those leaders, those ministers who labor, who work in the church. And he says here, are over you in the Lord and admonish you. They're over them. They're the leaders. They're the spiritual leaders in the church. They're over them. And it's whom God had called to be those leaders within their church there. And we know that's true because it says, and admonish you. The word admonish means to teach, to correct. So those who encourage, correct, and basically teach the word. Kind of like we, uh, I was reading this morning, Ephesians 4 in our daily reading, how God has gifted the church, apostles, evangelists, and pastors, right? So that they would uh, uh, equip the church, right? Equip the body and build them up. So Paul's talking about here honoring your leaders. So he goes on in verse 13, and he even says this, uh, not just honor or respect, but he says to esteem them very highly in love. In other words, to regard them, you know, very highly uh, put them in, a, uh, you know, honor them in that way they're, that they're in this position God has placed them. And it says to esteem them very highly. Notice it says in love. He's talking about we are to have this attitude of love. Love is agape. We are to have this affection of agape toward the leaders in the church. And he says, because of their work, because of what God has called them to do, where God has placed them there, and if anything, in that position, we are to honor, respect, with affection, yeah, our leaders that God has placed, our spiritual leaders, placed above us in church. So, we see here in verse 12 and 13, the idea is, honor your leaders in the church, for God placed them there to minister to you. And, and basically, in a basic sense, with your leaders, it, it's like, I was thinking about it this way to put it together in my mind. What are we to do? Well, give respect. Yeah. And how are you to do that? With love, with that affectionate agape here, with that attitude. And why should you do this? Because God sent them. God placed them there. So give them, give respect with love for God's placed them there. God's put them there. So lovingly respect those leaders God placed over you in their life. And then he says something here in verse 13. Look at the end of verse 13. I think it's real interesting. Attached to all this now, he writes, Be at peace among yourselves. So lovingly respect your leaders and when you do that, it will bring peace and harmony in the church. That's really the, the idea. You want to be at peace among yourselves, among the church here? You know what? Respect your leaders. So think about it this way. Keeping the harmony in the fellowship begins with honoring your leaders. 
I mean, it, it, it makes sense to me. You know, over in Hebrews 13, verse 17, I, I want to read this to you. Hebrews 13, 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give account. So leaders, church leaders, pastors, ministers, they're accountable to God in all what they do. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage of you. It wouldn't be, it's no benefit. If, if, if we don't respect and obey our leaders, what happens is we create not an atmosphere of peace and harmony, but an atmosphere that's against those leaders, against them. And then, you know, they're not able to do what God has placed them there to do, is to minister, to build up, to equip, to teach, to guide, to lead the church of God. And so what is the advantage for us? As we obey our leaders, it's to have peace and harmony in our fellowship. So here's what Paul is saying. An overall respect and appreciation of the leaders brings an overall peace and harmony in the fellowship. So you see that. Paul brings the first thing that he brings in here when he's talking about fellowship, church, harmony in the church, keeping that harmony. He talks about giving that honor and respect to your leaders. An overall respect and appreciation of the leaders brings an overall peace and harmony in the fellowship. I was thinking about this as I was studying this. I was thinking about, did you know that when the ant colony loses their leader, right? Like the queen ant, the rest of the ants in the colony, eventually they're at a loss. You know, eventually they end up all dying out. Or even I was reading about uh, when the beehive loses their leader, like the, the queen bee, the, you know what? The bees actually uh, tend to get more nervous. They, get, they, feel, they start to act agitated and irritated. So I was thinking about, you know what? When we are disrespectful and unsubmissive, it's, it's like not having a leader anymore. You know, it's like we're acting like that. And there is no peace in, quote-unquote, the colony. So that's why it's important. And overall, respect and appreciation of the leaders brings an overall peace and harmony in the fellowship. And we understand this. I mean, pretty much we've, 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 I've taught this before, like when we were in Hebrews and, and all that. And he, even though, you know what I was thinking, this principle is for the church, I think we can also apply this principle, say, to your family. Think about that, yeah, to your elders. Think about how important it is for us to honor and respect our elders, our parents, you know, giving them, them that respect. Like, like it's part of the Ten Commandments, right? Honor your father and mother. And when you do, it tends to bring a lot more peace and harmony within the family. Or how about this? Your workplace, yeah? How about your workplace? We, we are, Paul says in Ephesians 6, about uh, you know, we're, we're to work unto the Lord and obey our, our master, Paul wrote there, or obey our, our boss, we can apply. But I think in the same way, we can take this principle and put it into our place of work. Think about maybe what's going on in your situation right now. What is going on? I, I, I almost feel like the root of a lot of dissension and division is because we, we, we've, we've, we lost that respect and honor to those above us. And even though 
maybe we, we don't like what they're doing or, or we don't like them, it still doesn't change the fact that God says, you know, give them respect. Give them honor. And I'll tell you what, I've learned a lot of lessons through that. I've, I've learned to actually give grace, to, to know how to uh, uh, give love, right? To, to esteem them in agape. I, I've been forced in situations to go, all right, Lord, I, I can't get out of here, but you want me to stay here, what do I do? And I prayed, and you know, I learned what agape really means. I learned that if you pray, God works through prayer. I learned to give grace like God gave grace to me. I learned to forgive. I learned what it means. And so it's important that even whatever toxic atmosphere you may be in, that you can bring in this air, you can bring in an air of appreciation and respect. And you know what? I'll tell you, God's principles work. They work. And peace will start coming in. All right, so honor your leaders. That's where it starts with. Let's go on to number two. Help one another. Help one another. Here we're going to look at verse 14. Honor your leaders. And number two, now help one another. Verse 14 says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. So Paul goes on here in verse 14, and he says, we urge you, brothers. He says, now, brothers and sisters, we urge you. The word urge here is para, parakaleo, and it means to, to come alongside. So Paul is using this word, and it also means to call upon. So he's saying, you guys, I'm calling upon you guys to come alongside and what? Help. Help one another. That's the idea. That's the heading. Uh, that we have here in number two. So how are we to help one another? See, the, the pastor ministers to the body, but it's not only the pastor. The body can help one another, minister to one another. Well, we find here in verse 14 four ways to help one another. There's four ways we see here, all packed into verse 14. And the first thing is motivate the wayward. Motivate the wayward. So he says here in verse 14, we urge you, brothers admonish the idol admonish the idol so admonish again that's the same word that we saw up in verse 12 means to teach to correct yeah to to and and this is in a helpful way so that's why i use this word motivate and the idol actually i like the nlt translates this lazy so the word really talks about motivate those who are lazy in obeying the word of God. Those guys who have gone wayward from following the Lord, walking with Him. So, motivate the wayward. Help them get back to living for God. Teach them, correct them, come alongside, help them out, be there. You know, one trip a few years ago to the mainland, I was, um, I, I got lost driving and I don't know, maybe it's a guy thing. I thought, well, I know the way. I know. I know. And I'm driving, yeah. But, you know, my wife was very loving and patient and was very quiet. <laughs> but, oh, I got lost. I thought I knew. I didn't. And so, well, I had to humble myself and break out the GPS, you know, and actually figure out where I am and where to go. Well, I think spiritually, in the same way, 
We can get wayward. People can get wayward. They can get lost, and, and it's hard for them to find their way back. And so we need to be there, help one another, help them, motivate them, teach them, help them, correct them even, bring the wayward back to walking with the Lord. So help one another. First of all, motivate the wayward. And now Paul says, secondly, encourage the worrier. Encourage the worrier. Verse 14, the next thing he says, encourage the faint-hearted. Encourage the faint-hearted. The, the word faint-hearted here means timid. It means afraid. It, it speaks of someone who's like always worrying and, and, and is anxious in that sense. So if you put all those words together, we are to help those uh, and encourage those who are always worried, timid, hard to keep going, you know, hard to step out, hard to, hard to do those things. And I put it this way. We need to help these to keep God in the equation. You see, I like something that Oswald Chambers wrote. He said, all our fret and worry is caused by calculating without God. And don't we do that so many times? We go through life without putting God into the equation, right? It's just us. We, we think of us, or our, and us plus our weaknesses, right? Us plus, oh, uh, these situations. Us plus, oh, no, right? And, and, and we come out with, oh, no, I cannot. Oh, all this worry, all this stress, all this going on. But we need to uh, encourage the worrier and help them keep God in the equation. Because if God's in the qua- equation and we can have faith, trust, and we know he's there for us. The third thing we see in verse 14 is to strengthen the weak. Strengthen the weak. If you look at verse 14 again, it says, help the weak. You know what he's talking about? Help means to like help them like hold on. Uh, actually, it's us coming to hold on to them, to hold up them, to come there and be their support and strengthen them and so strengthen the weak. We need to help those basically who are struggling, those who are struggling. I remember reading years ago in the Special Olympics, uh, nine of these special kids were lined up for the 100-yard dash, and when the gun went off, they all ran down the course, except one of them stumbled and fell down. But the precious thing was two turned, saw, turned around, saw what happened. Uh, they ran back. And the two runners picked up the fallen one, uh, each one on each side, pulled him up, put him on his feet, joined hands, and they continued on crossing the finish line together. And I love that picture because that's what we are to do. We're to go back for those and strengthen the weak, help those who, who have them or who are having a hard time moving forward. So strengthen the weak. So we are to help one another, motivate, by mo- uh, motivate the wayward, number one. Number two, encourage the worker. Number three, strengthen the weak. And number four, I like this one, let nothing wear you out. Let nothing wear you out. And, and Paul says in verse 14 now, he says, be patient with them all. So overall, in every one of these cases, we are to be patient. The word patient means to be long on suffering, right? The old uh, King James word is long suffering, 
right? Uh, and it, I like that because it, it really speaks on what we're, what we're to do, you know, what we're supposed to be. We are supposed to be patient, long on suffering, enduring the suffering, right? Putting up with those who are less than perfect, yeah? And being patient with one another. So we are to help one another basically by bearing with one another. You know, in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, it says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And I like that. You know, I, uh, bearing here, I like how the NLT renders this. The NLT puts this bearing with, he, they, pay, they put it this way, making allowance for each other's faults. Don't you love that? That's what we do. We're, we, make, we're, we make allowance. You know, I think about it this way. God is so patient with us. Shouldn't we be patient with each other? God gives us grace. Let's give grace and be there. Let nothing wear you out. God, I was thinking this morning, just praying, God, thank you for bearing with me, to put, putting up with me, you know, all this time, all my whining, complaining. All, I, I feel like I'm a little kid, you know, always coming to God. And, but the Lord is always there loving and reaching out to me. You know, uh, uh, with, I was yesterday, I think it was yesterday, or maybe it was the day before, my wife were watching this um, uh, a little documentary put out by Voice of the Martyrs. It was a, about Richard Wombrandt. And he was... Uh, persecuted for his faith during the communist rule in Romania. He spent 14 years in prison, and uh, many Christians and believers were put into prison because of their faith, because they didn't want anyone to believe in Jesus, and they are capturing people in Jesus who believe in Jesus from in, in prison. Well, he was 14 years in there. Well, anyway, it's, if you ever get a chance, you, you, you could try and catch that. Um, I think it's on Amazon Prime we watch. But anyway... One thing he said, and it's taken out of his book, Tortured for Christ, really hit my heart. And, and it really applies to what we're talking about here, about letting nothing where you are, about bearing with one another. He said this, God will judge us not according to how much we endured, but how much we could love. And that really hit my heart. I mean, we may be into enduring, yeah, we're going to endure. But you know what makes a difference? That we bear one another. With what? Love. Love. That's what's important. Well, it's not easy yeah, working with one another. It's not easy in a fellowship of all different kind of people together. A well-known poem says, To dwell above with the saints we love, that'll be grace and glory. To live below with saints we know, that's another story. <laughs> but listen, God has put us together to be one body. To be one family. You know what? And it's done, Scripture tells us, through the Holy Spirit. So we're one body, one family, through one Holy Spirit. He's put us together. So uh, let's not make it another story like the poem says, right? Let's make it the right story by doing these things to help one another and what Paul has written about. You know, you know what's amazing to me in our fellowship, in our church, that, you know, God, by His power, has put us all together. Think about that. Many people from different races, 
Many people from different backgrounds. Many people from different places. Many people with different personalities even. And yeah, it's easy. Maybe we can rub each other wrong sometimes. Yet God has put us all together to be together. You know what? Without prejudice. Because we're all in one family now. And we're learning what that means. And we're learning what love really is in this church family. And that's what's important, you guys. So let's apply these things into our lives and our body. Let's help one another so we can continue in keeping the harmony. All right, let's go on to our our third heading here. And it is hold to doing good. Hold to doing good. And we come to our last verse here. Hold to doing good. Verse 15 says here, See that no one repays anyone for evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So Paul goes on and and he adds one more important thing because he knows what happens in a fellowship. He knows our human nature, or I should say our sinful flesh, and what our normal uh, knee-jerk, Responses, right? Or or how we react, I should say. And that is, you know what? We do what he says not to do. See that no one repays evil for evil, right? Our response is to do the paybacks. He says, don't do that. No retaliation here. No taking the revenge here. No payback. Oh, I'm going to pay you back, you know, just like you, how you paid me. He says, no, don't do that. But always, always, he says, that's a big word, always, he says, seek. You know the word seek here in original language means pursue, go after. To me, that speaks about how it's not natural for us to not do the payback. Yeah. But we got to make that choice to run after, to pursue, to go after what? To do good to one another to do good not evil but do good toward one another and to everyone so not just in the church Paul now includes you know what everyone people in the world the saved and unsaved alike so here's Paul Paul's like do the opposite of evil hold to doing good hold to doing good this is God's way of dealing with wrong this is, this is what he's asking us to do. This is what he's calling us to do. Turn over to the left to uh, Matthew. Matthew chapter 5. And, and Jesus really says this. And we'll hear it directly from Jesus' mouth. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at verse 44 and 45. Matter of fact, back up a little bit to verse 43. But Matthew chapter 5. Look at verse 43. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And now, let me explain. The Pharisees really believed that it it was their duty to love the Jews, their brothers. But the Gentiles, no, they're in their good right to hate them. And so they were enemies. And if, if someone didn't came across them or didn't do what their religion believed in or what they stood for, then it was okay to hate them. And so they were the enemies. And Jesus said, you, you've heard it was said, you'll love your neighbor and hate your enemy. 
But look at verse 44. But I say to you, Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons, verse 45, of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So here's Jesus. Hey, you know what? Love your enemies. We're supposed to love not just hey, our friends, but even your enemies too. Even those who persecute you. You know why? That you may be sons of your father. Your father has given an example. And you want to be children of God? You want to be like the father? Well, look what the father does. He makes his son rise even on the evil people. Right? Not just, just the good. And even sends rain. In other words, he brings blessings. Yeah? By his grace. By his mercy. Even on, on, on the unjust. The just, he does. For sure, we understand that. But the unjust too? That's God's grace. And mercy. So Jesus is saying the same thing that Paul has written in First Thessalonians five. And our last point is this: respond to any wrong done, any wrong done to you, as if there was never any wrong done. I, that was the best way I could think of it for me. You know, yeah. Respond to any wrong done to you, as if there was never any wrong done. That's how I could keep giving the good and not repay evil. For evil, You know, I was amazed. I came across this article where the parents of a New Hampshire shooting victim not only forgave the man that killed their son, but helped him restart his life. It's a beautiful story. Christopher, Christopher Bazaar had accidentally shot his roommate, Donald St. Laurent, after drinking beers and smoking marijuana. Christopher was sentenced to 10 years, but the parents actually went and asked for a reduced sentence. And eventually, he went out on early parole, and it was through the help and the compassion shown by the St. Lawrence, by the victim's parents, who were also, they also came and offered him a place to stay, their house, and a job at the father's company when he gets out. Isn't that amazing? This guy killed their son, yet they forgave him and even went further to do good by on his behalf, you know, asking that he be released early, gave him a place to stay and a job. The father of the victim said, I think it's something he's going to have to live with the rest of his life. I also believe that people deserve a second chance. And wow. Well, how many chances did God give us? Yeah, I mean, that just hits my heart even right now. And how many times we don't, how many times we operate in our flesh and our emotions and, 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 and you know, we forget what God is mandating here. You know, you can hold on to that, that anger and, and hold on to that bitterness and hold on to vengeful emotions but we need to let that go we need to stop that i'll tell you i'll tell you what it does when you do that you're allowing this darkness to come into your heart you're allowing this darkness of of doing evil not good being passed through you and and you know i don't want that darkness i want the light of god and the way to let the light of god go through you 
is to obey what God wants you and I to do, is that is hold to doing good in these circumstances when we feel like repaying evil for evil to those who wronged us. You know what? If you continue on in that bitterness, it'll eat you up. And you will be overcome with that bad, with that evil. Listen to what uh, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12. At the end uh, of the chapter, in verse 18, he said, If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So it's not our job yeah, to repay evil for evil. That's God's. To the contrary, your enemy, uh, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him some water, give him something to drink. For by so, by, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And then he wrote this. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. So what will you do with these things we said today? God is speaking to us as a church. As we close up, put that into your mind right now. That God is saying, church, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to apply into our body and not only that, into your life with others, with your family, with your workplace, wherever you go. You guys, let's stop the madness going on. You, do you see the opposite going on in our world right now? I mean, I, I mentioned it before, I look at Facebook sometimes, it, it's, it's this thing going on and on. Let's stop that madness. Let's bring in the light. Let's do our part. I'll close with this. In Amsbury, Massachusetts, uh, 55 drive through customers at the Heavenly Donuts restaurant were surprised to find the driver in front of them had paid their bill. What, what do they call that? Like pay behind or whatever. Anyway, it all pay for it. Oh, okay, well, it all started at about 9 a.m., when one customer decided to not only pay for their own donuts, but left money to pay for the driver behind them in line at the drive-thru. When the second car was surprised that his order was paid for, he decided to pay for the customer behind him, and so they said the chain started. Every person who drove through decided to do that same thing. The manager said they didn't start telling any of the cars that this was a chain until the 17th car. And so the, the, the person at the window asked the driver, okay, your car number 17, it's up to you. Do you want to continue the chain? Well, you know what? They did. And every, everyone else after that until about 11 a.m. and car number 55 came through and there was no one else behind them. I love it. Well, think about it this way. There was a chain started 2,000 years ago today when Jesus gave his life for us, for those who did not deserve it, for those who put him on the cross, for, for our sins that put him on the cross. And it was all out of love. And giving that sacrifice and that love was overcoming evil with good. 
And you know it has continued throughout the centuries. This chain that started back then. So today, we come to this point and it's like God saying, Okay, you're car number 17. What are you going to do? Well, let's do what's written here in the Bible. Let's do all we can in keeping the harmony. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word today. And Lord, it is convicting in many ways, Lord. And and we have areas in our life. We have places that we go to. We have the, the homes we live in. We have, God, things in our heart that shouldn't be there. And Lord, you are speaking to us about that right now. But Lord, we come in humbleness and we want to repent before you and say, God, you have died and rose again and the power of the resurrection is in us. You freed us from the bondage of sin and we can say no to our anger. We can, we can let go of the bitterness. We can now say yes to letting your light of love go through us. So help us, Lord, today to do everything we can in keeping the harmony and to not repay evil with evil, but hold on to doing good. So, Lord, let us be overcomers and not be overcome here today. And we need your Spirit's help this morning to do that. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.